the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Ben Kerchival. I'm Chip Patterson. Lots to get into today uh, as we are speaking. Big 12 Media Days is off and running. Uh, Ben's got a feature on CBS Sports right now on Matt Campbell. Yes, the summer of Iowa State continues here on the Cover 3 Podcast. We cannot help ourselves uh, but talk about the Cyclones at least once a week. Uh, Get into that as well as some some more Big 12 topics. But uh, I want to begin in with uh, just some of the conversation around a very high-profile transfer from within the SEC. Um, uh, former five-star prospect Demetrius Robertson has yet another home. He started his career at Cal, then he transferred to Georgia, put his name in the transfer portal back in June, and uh, now has decided and announced that he's going to take his talents to Auburn. Now, the Georgia wide receiver room we've been talking about all throughout the season, and there are some um, legal challenges that Robertson has as well that might that, that might have a role in um, either the decision making. I, I don't know. There's a lot of pieces it's to parking, this, right? Yeah, it's like, like he, he he took a. My guess is he took a parking boot off his car or something like that. Yeah, I, I think it's technically a felony, but it's like a it's a sigh and like nod your head kind of felony. So a um, lot of lot of pieces to sort of unpack here. So, Bud, when you saw this move. You know, he's going to be a sixth-year player. He's been around a lot. It's been so long since we've, like, really called him a five-star prospect. You know, do you, do you think that Robertson was going to be a player that you thought, you know, with the absence of George Pickens, at least for the beginning of the season, were you expecting him to be a, a top Georgia wide receiver? And if so, I guess this is pretty surprising. I, I really I, – I wasn't expecting him to be that good because I just – if you haven't done it in five years, if you haven't lived, lived up to the potential, I, I don't really see it as all that likely to happen – in year six, the possibility of playing time loomed with George Pickens most likely missing the season with his torn ACL. But uh, Chip, I actually kind of took this as a bit of a a positive sign for what it means for Georgia's starters at the receiver position. So you have Arik Gilbert, who they are saying is going to play receiver. Okay, cool. Uh, Kiaris Jackson, Jermaine Burton, uh, you know, maybe it means that Marcus Rosemey is coming back a little bit ahead of schedule. Is that Jack uh, Saint? Saint Jack? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I forgot when he put the Jack Saint on there. As a recruit, I always knew him as Marcus Rosemey. Right. He added um, the Jack Saint, so I call him Saint Jack. It's very unfair. I need to give more respect to his last name, but it's a good way for me to remember it in my brain. That, that is a cool last name. But you, you guys see what I mean? Like the, You would think the playing time would be there, but if Robertson's going to go to a place that hasn't been able to throw the ball in quite a while in Auburn, it has to be because he looked around the room and said, damn, like we're, I'm not going to get on the field here, right? Yeah, I mean, Ben, do you still believe in, in Robertson and, you know, being able to uh, be a big-time 
threat in the SEC? Well, the good thing is he's going to be entering a room where he has that possibility because Auburn loses a trio of like really good pass catchers. I mean, you're losing Eli Stove, you're losing Anthony Schwartz, you're losing Seth Williams. You know, when I was looking back through it, I mean, nobody last year who's coming back had more than 100 yards receiving. So I'm not saying the talent's not there at Auburn, but I am saying the experience isn't there. And you bring in a new coaching staff, Brian Harson, who anytime you get a new coach coming in, first thing we're doing is looking for competition. We need someone to be able to step up all, you know how they like to say all jobs are open, you know, they'll give give you that line. So he, I'm with Bud on the fact that, I mean, I don't know that he's going to come out and be a thousand yard guy and, and get all SEC consideration. Uh, but I think he has an opportunity in a room that is looking for playmakers to kind of finally reinvent himself and, and get himself at, at least some touches and, and get himself a starting position for Auburn uh, this season. When you did your quarterback tiers, how many tiers separated JT Daniels from Bo Nix? multiples a lot like what's it might have been it might have been top to bottom like that is it might have been tier one to to the last tier because but i remember early on the season i was doing a radio drop in in arkansas we were talking about because at the time you had the marriage of gus mouse chad morris who you know arkansas had a lot of vested interest in him because because of his time with the razorbacks you had hit uh uh, chad morris uh gus malzahn and bo nix and this was a couple games into the season, and I said, I, two of those three ain't going to be there in 2021. And I don't know who those two are going to be, but that marriage is not going to see itself to fruition. So uh, it ends up being, obviously, Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris. Uh, Bo Nix, it's, it's kind of the same thing. Like, SEC freshman of the year, you saw some flashes. There's just been so much inconsistency, and you wonder we're just – with all the speed that Auburn always seems to have in the wide receiver room, if nothing else, they're always going to have a track star dude who's able to just go vertical and and you're not able to really do something with that. So, yeah, I mean, I I know Bo Nix is is probably going to be their guy again, at least for now in the first couple of games. But, oh, man, that's a – that's that's been a trip. That's been a trip at Auburn. Milo Sweetie uh, certainly hopes that Bo Nix stays the guy. <laughs> so that that's uh, are they mostly Alabama based? I think it's throughout the South. You could probably get like if you go to your your local supermarket. Shout out Publix as a Florida guy. Yeah. Um. You know, we'll, we'll probably find a little Harris Teeter War at some point. Uh, Chip, I, I think you can get it in like Publix down here. I see the I've don't forget don't forget Kroger bought Harris Teeter. And they oh. didn't flip all of the Harris Teeters into Kroger's because like in North Carolina, like Charlotte, they still want to be able to have the Tajma Teeter and some of the iconic <laughs> uh, Teeters from around the Queen City still standing. But the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of Kroger Wegmans. You know, I don't, I don't have any geographic loyalty to, uh, to my grocery stores. Whatever's geographically close to my house and allows me to be able to get uh, to the store and back in time for Cover 3 podcast hits and things like that. But are you off on Bo Nix? Are you... Are you sort of throwing them like selling stock? Yeah. I mean, if, 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 yeah. And I understand that a new offensive system can sometimes reinvigorate your career, but a lot of times I feel like that can happen at at another school too, where you just kind of have a fresh slate and I'm just with Bo Nix until you see it, 
for the, the course of the season, I'm just, I'm, yeah, I've, I've sold on him. I sold on him a while back too. I don't really know what to think because it's hard for me to figure out like how much is Gus Malzahn, right? I mean, they, Gus Malzahn offenses have routinely tried to, hey, we're going to throw the ball around more, right? I, I remember sitting next to Sean White on the plane to the opening and he had all these offers and Auburn had just had a season in which they, uh, they went to the national title game with uh, Nick Marshall, who was a corner at QB. And he's like, man, they're going to start throwing the ball around all more. They're going to really open it up. And I'm like, Gus Malzahn's a wing T coach and at his core. Well, really I mean, Gus, Gus's best offense is when you got a guy like, like that Nick runs Martin. a lot. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, they, they're never a good throwing offense. So I don't know how much of that was, was Gus and how much of that was Bo Nix. So I'm still open to the idea that Bo Nix can be a good throwing quarterback under a new system. He probably has two years left, by the way, right? Because he has the COVID exemption if, if he wants to come back and be a super senior. So he could be there another two years, uh, potentially, if, if, if he makes progress in that system. By the way, the kid UCF uh, has committed right now at quarterback position. A lot of other schools want him as a running back. So absolutely a good fit for what Gus wants to do. He may be going back to his roots. And if so, I think they could do big things there. Interesting. Uh, another bit of breaking news that happened a little bit earlier in the day before we started recording. Uh, the announcement that Frank Solich will be retiring as Ohio's football coach. Obviously, uh, run at Nebraska. He has been at Ohio for 13? 16. 16 wow. seasons. And uh, and there's a long run of bowl appearances. A very to My analysis of the Frank Solich Ohio program is it was a very high floor Mac program. I just never really expected a bottom out type season. He always had uh, quarterback dual threat quarterbacks that could could be very fun. Uh, you know, get things going offensively. Ben, you wrote the story for CBSSports.com. You know, when when the breaking news happened, you know, were you any coach who's coaching into his seventies? You're always a, a little bit just sort of setting the watch by it. Be like, all right, so when's this going to happen? Um, you know, what do you think and what'd you take away from Solich deciding that uh, he's going to step away from coaching? So it's a, it's a health issue, cardiac related health issue. So first and foremost, it's, it's that, and you hope that long-term he's going to be okay, which sort of begs the question that if it wasn't a health related issue, how much longer Frank Solich going to go, man, he might've had some more miles on, on, you know, those tires, but to your point, uh, not many 76-year-olds out there coaching college football these days. Certainly not a lot of coaches out there at the same place for 16 years. And there are a lot of physics involved when it comes to coaching movement. Some's push, some's pull. Uh, but mobility is kind of the name of the game these days for, for myriad reasons. But, I, you know, I thought about this, about Frank Solich a lot, even before he, the announcement today that he was retiring, is – there is a lesson here, which is sometimes when you got like something good going, go with it, go with the good gig. You know, Athens is a cool college town. You got players in Ohio and Western Pennsylvania. I mean, yeah, Ohio is never really lighting the recruiting trail on fire, but they get guys, you know, they find some, like you said, some dual threat quarterbacks who may not be getting power five offers, but you know, they can run and they can throw, they can play. Uh, and, you're, you're winning eight games a year and the administration's not on your back. They're saying, Hey, you're taking us to bulk. I mean, they, in the 16 years that he was there, they never won a Mac championship. They went to the, the championship game four times. 
one out of every, every four years, they won the East division. But like you said, high floor, which for the next guy taking over, that means that you haven't reached your apex. You haven't mm. reached your ceiling. You might be able to go out and win the Mac because it's not like Frank Solich is out there winning the Mac every other year or something like that. And you go like, all right, you know, where, where do we kind of go from here? You feel like there's still some room to maybe grow, but you knew with Frank Solich, you were always going to be a, a winning team. And 2012, they go in to Happy Valley, beat Penn State. So, all right, you got a marquee win or two. And I've always thought Frank Solich has a good gig and he knows it. And there is something to be said for that. Guy just wants to coach ball. Ben, by the way, I thought you were going to take, take Nebraska, right? The, hey, re- realize when you have something good and go with it for their decision yeah. to uh, to go away from Solich. But I, that to me, that if you had gone that way, I was going to argue with you because I was going to think it's more like outcome-driven analysis as opposed to process-driven. And Nebraska was coming off many years in which they were a legitimate title contender, and they did see themselves slipping somewhat under Solich, although – I don't think they anticipated they could slip so much further under Callahan and then what Pelini and, uh, and Riley and, you know, I guess Frost now, uh, but it, it does kind of speak like, Hey, just because your program is operating maybe at it's like B level ceiling, just because you make a change, you got to realize if you're making a B right now, chance you can go down. There's a lot more room to go down than there is to go up. Good reminder for the offseason. Yeah, fi- firing the guy is easy. Hiring the next one is hard. And Solich is, man, being the guy after the guy is tough. You know, you, you're replacing Tom Osborne. Who was there for like, 75 like years. Yeah, it's not <laughs> like you got a buffer. <laughs> it's not like you got a little bit of time where people sit, like hit the reset and go, okay, you know, we're, all right, we're, we're going to be a 9-4 and four team. They're kind of, I think, what, two years removed from a national cha- – or maybe not even. I mean, they, they mid-'90s, they were winning national championships, and he goes out and wins a Big 12 championship in 1999. And a couple years later, out. Yeah, I, I liked uh, – I think I was going back and researching sort of like old Nebraska-Oklahoma rivalries, and it's funny how Oklahoma had multiple iconic coaches, and they all faced Osborne. Like Osborne was like a multi-generational coach at different levels. And then, yeah, take it all the way into the 90s when he started facing off against, you know, Florida, Florida State, uh, Miami, all all those schools. It's uh, very, very interesting. Hey, we want to welcome a new podcast to the CBS Sports family just in time for the Tokyo Olympics. Attacking Third will cover the U.S. women's national team as they aim to capture gold as well as the NWSL at least three times a week making it the most comprehensive podcast in the space. Join hosts Sandra Herrera and Lisa Roman as they bring you previews, recaps, exclusive player interviews, and much, much more. Download and follow Attacking Third wherever you listen to this great podcast. Go Carolina Courage. Let's go. So right now, I mentioned it earlier as we are are getting things going Big 12 Media Days is starting right now. There are um, two days. We'll have uh, Iowa State is out there today. I believe Texas and Oklahoma is tomorrow. You also have some TCU. Oklahoma's today? 
Today. Ooh, so all right, what are we looking for? What are some of the topics? Is that they're way out in front? We're gonna get just pounded with SEC and ACC sort of like is also going on and Big Ten, but Big Twelve does have a little bit of a spotlight. I don't know what the the big national demand is for Big Twelve Media Days updates or whether we're just gonna be getting good photos of the drip tough emoji, you know, stuff of how the players are looking and I'm, I hope they enjoy it. But what are some of the the questions that you have uh, for the the Big Twelve that may or may not be answer so for Lincoln Riley the the quest has been defensively how much progress are they going to be able to make and he's taken the steps you know hiring Alex Grinch was a was a great move and you've seen certain I think some tangible improvement I mean I don't think there's any doubt that they're better defensively now than they were when when Mike Stoops was the defensive coordinator but schematically Alex Grinch who does a great job can only get you so far. You need the players, you need the Jimmy's and the Joe's. And I think they've actually done kind of quietly a good job addressing that over the past couple of recruiting classes. And they had some, they had some spring stars who were freshmen, maybe some veteran sophomores kind of sprinkled in there uh, who the past couple of recruiting classes, I think they're going to end up being major role players this year. Woody Washington's one of them, the quarterback. Billy Bowman, who's a freshman safety, he was actually kind of a spring game hero a little bit because they had some guys absent uh, on the defensive side. And these were guys who, when you go back, and Bud might be able to shed a little bit more light on this, but I think when they were being recruited, a lot of these guys were athletes. They weren't necessarily position-dependent players that they knew that they were going to put in right away. They just knew that they were – 5'11", 175 dudes who could run. And they said, okay, we need those types of guys in the backfield because, you know, SEC is certainly catching on to this, but Big 12 has known it for a really long time is you need really good corner play and you need guys who can make plays in space. And it's, and that's a hard thing where you're not going to win games 20 to 17, but you need to be able to make enough stops and you need to be able to get turnovers. And they've really addressed that part of it. And we know going into 2021, Spencer Rattler is going to be a Heisman favorite. We know they got guys for days at wide receiver. They bring in Eric Gray at running back. They've reloaded on their offensive line. All that side of the ball is fine. What can they do on defense so that when they, if they run into the Clemson buzzsaw or they run into the Alabama buzzsaw, that they can go toe to toe with them and make enough defensive stops. I think that's going to be their X factor going this year. That's going to be their major storyline in Arlington, 100%. I think that's pretty interesting, Ben. I, I, I think a large part of it, too, is just, what is this, uh, the third year? Of Grinch? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure Riley wanted to get rid of Stoops much earlier than he could, but, like, yeah. Stoops' brother Bob hooked him up with the job by retiring when he did and basically set up the whole succession plan. So, you can't just ask the brother of the guy who gave you one of, like, the top ten jobs in the country uh, getting guys in there that fit his system, getting the guys who are already in there to believe, I think is a big deal. And just keeping some of these guys healthy and you know, not suspended, not getting attrition out has been uh, a real cause for, for positive progress. I think they made steps last year. I know we have been kind of reluctant to uh, say, hey, look, this happened last year, this happened last year, and this is meaningful progress because last year was a really weird year. But I think in 2019, they were very much turnover dependent, and I was skeptical that they were making real progress because, as we know, Turnovers uh, are not all luck. There's a pretty it's yeah. There's a large luck, luck component, right? Yeah. Um, you know, 
I thought last year they were actually better on a down-to-down basis, not totally reliant on the turnovers. Their cover guys were better. They were able to get a little more pressure up front. I think they could still be susceptible to the run in some cases. I I, I know my friend Bill Connolly kind of you know wants to know how big they'll be up front still, but they've addressed that some. Uh, I think they're going to be a, a pretty damn good football team. Well, yeah. I, I mean, is like yeah. they, it's it's the team that's crushing the rest of the Big Twelve, and like we see these teams float up and and be able to. Uh, you know, beat them once during the regular season, but not not when you get to Dallas. Like not when it comes for that that second matchup. It's, uh, yeah. As Gary Patterson said, you might be able to get Lincoln once, but once he gets one look at you, you got no chance at being and able to beat him that's twice. That's the thing that I don't know that Riley always gets a lot of credit for is you know last year or those first that first month of the season, and there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, a lot of teams stumbled out of the gate in September for a lot of reasons related to COVID and. and Oklahoma breaking in, you started quarterback. Spencer Rattler's great, but he was very young. Lincoln Riley teams, man, from September to December, they are a lot of times very, very different. And I don't know that he always gets enough credit for being a, a great guy early on and saying, okay, here's what's working, here's what's not. And then by December, I don't know that I don't know that, that window's closed in terms of beating them. So the um we will, we'll get to Matt Campbell and Iowa State stuff here in just a, a little bit, but it's also tomorrow going to be on Thursday. The, you know, Steve Sarkeesian comes out. He is addressing the Big 12 media. He's, uh, you know, got this team that he inherits that, like, was a couple of one-possession games away from being really, really good. Do you think that uh, the expectations for Sark, you know, at an event like Media Days or within the Texas community – do you think that the expectation is that he comes in, turns the key, and this thing is ready to to at least race against Oklahoma? Like, do you think the car is fast enough? Because I'm going all gas, no brakes. I'm taking right from Sark's recruiting uh, pitch. Like, do you think that his car is fast enough to be able to keep pace and at least make this thing interesting with the Sooners? I think the car will be fast enough. I don't know if the car will stay on the road. <laughs> Explain. Uh, so... Okay, first of all, my prediction is Hudson Card starts. Mm, okay. I think the longer this goes on, I think the more it's more likely, and this isn't always the case, but I, I the more likely the younger guy is the dude. And Casey Thompson was was incredible in the bowl game. I I might have suited up for Colorado in in that Iowa Bowl. I mean, they were they were really just depleted. But he, but he played well. Him and Bijan Robinson were great. But the longer that competition goes on, you're bringing in a new coach, Hudson Card, big time recruit, dual threat kid, and, and of the different high schools, but of the Sam Ellinger local kid in the backyard mold, you know. It's so I mean, I think there's that wouldn't be the reason, but I, I think there's that storyline in there as well. So I think, first of all, if it's not week one, I think eventually Hudson Card gets the, the keys to that card. But here's actually probably the bigger concern that I have. It's that wide receiver. Brandon Eagles is gone. I mean, poor Jake Smith. I mean, that kid gets a broken fit on the first day of practice. I mean, he's out now. He's transferred over to USC with the rest of the Texas Longhorns. And so, okay, you got to find – you got to find – your wideouts and and that's going to take some time. And the first thing you do is you play Louisiana 
a very similar team to the one last year. We're talking about Iowa State in a little bit. Beat the Cyclones by double digits. I, it was you know kind of big play dependent, but they went to Ames and they won by double digits. And then they got to go to, yes, sir, Sam Pittman, Arkansas. That's not going to be easy. And, you know, then you, a couple games later, you get Oklahoma. I mean, your, your starting slate is not kind to a, a team that's sort of trying to hit the reset button and get going. I have no uh, questions that it's going to be all gas, no breaks. It's just and, – and when you're starting things off, you kind of just want to say, all right, we're just going to go do it, and if you mess up, fine. But mm, there's, some, there's some potholes in this road chip. I'm I'm okay with that. I I think your your point about the receivers is is pretty interesting. Although I, I got to say some of these guys that they lost were, were pretty disappointing, including Brennan Eagles. Like they they couldn't have been happy with what they got out of Eagles over, over his career. I like their options at quarterback personally. Um, I, I I think your your pickup card is is fine. I mean, like you you follow this pretty well. I think Hudson Card has has a, a lot of ability. You know, it could be Case Thompson, it could be Card. I I think. I mean, like it's Texas. So, on the one hand, I'm going to say you almost have to try to screw it up. But on the other hand, I think you have to be willing to admit that sometimes there are institutional challenges that maybe, if you're not inside the program, are are bigger to overcome than we even realize. And sometimes we hear whispers about them, including some you know, reported stuff that comes out. But it's not maybe as easy of a job as as you would think. I, I think Texas. I don't think they're going to challenge Oklahoma this year. Mm-hmm. But like, can they finish third? In the division, or, or excuse me, there's no divisions, obviously. Can they finish third in the Big 12? Can they finish yeah. T3? Can they finish four? Their win total in Vegas is what, eight or eight and a half, I think? It's eight, but in, other than when Tom Herman took them to the Sugar Bowl a couple of years ago, was it the Sugar Bowl or the Peach Bowl? I think it was the Sugar Bowl. When they beat Georgia? When they beat Georgia. Right. Uh, other than that, they've never won more than seven regular season games in the past decade. <sighs> And I'm sitting here, I was just about to be like, and anything lower than fourth is a disappointment. But more than seven, like if you, if you win seven regular about, season the games. Thing about the, the thing about the Big 12 in, in a lot of years when they went to this round robin thing is you'll, you'll get Oklahoma and then there's like a team that'll challenge them. It's Baylor one year, it's TCU, it might be probably Iowa State this year. But then you got about like seven teams and they're all kind of jockeying for position. And really all it takes, like, you know, you mentioned Texas last year losing a lot of close games. The difference between, you know, finishing fifth or sixth in the Big 12 and finishing third a lot of times isn't very big. I mean, that's not exclusive to the Big 12, but it's just a lot of those teams are so close that some, you know, one's going to jump up and kind of have a year and get some breaks to go their way and get some calls. And, you know, they're going to finish nine and three and third in the Big 12. So can it be Texas? Sure. Sure, it can be Texas. But you're not you, – you, too many questions right now for you to be able to put – like when we're doing – I would not – given, the, given the, the recent history and some things that I'm buying from some other teams, I'm not going to pick them third. Yeah. So like when we do our Big 12 projected, predicted order of finish – on cbssports.com and they put our dumb little faces in that table and they send it out and tag all of our Twitter accounts and mentions just gets whoo all takes exposed yeah I just ready to go so when when you do that what are your and you don't I'm not going to hold you to this obviously but sure. what's what's your like top four or five 
So it'll be Oklahoma and Iowa State, and then it kind of goes without saying. Number three, I'm buying the very team I sold last year, and it's Oklahoma State. So what I've kind of learned about Mike Gundy teams is that if you get too high on them, they're going to break your heart. But if you sell too hard on them, they're going to surprise you. Uh, That defense was really good last year, and a lot of those dudes are coming back. And that was a really unsung part of that group, real salty side of the ball. Uh, you do have Spencer Sanders. I don't think he's the Big 12's best quarterback, but there are times where he makes plays where you go, okay, dude, move the chains, and he's, he's going to make plays with his legs. Uh, they need to find a, a, a guy for Tylen Wallace, but Gundy usually has a 1,000-yard kid in the chamber. Uh, they're deep at running back. Offensive line wasn't great last year, but you know I think they're good, I think they're good enough to be eight and four, nine and three finish third in the big 12. So that's why that's my number three team. Number four, it gets a little messier. I probably would say, I think Kansas state has a bounce back year. Hmm. I I'm glad that you get to come back on this because I don't know if you remember, but you were on the cover three podcast, mono Imano versus Barton Simmons, who was calling Oklahoma state to the college football playoff. And Ben was you know, like, whoa, now you got easy on that. You know, I, I look, Barton called Northwestern. So I'm never going to sit here and say <laughs> that, you know, Barton doesn't stick to his guns. And I'll, I'll always, you know, give him props for that. But I remember and he was, he was honorary too, man. He wasn't just disagreeing with me. He was like yelling at me. He's like, you're coming on my podcast talking about Oklahoma City. <laughs> I'm like, Barton, my man, I've seen this movie and I know how it ends. And, uh, but you know, it's, you win some, you lose some. That's okay. I, uh, I'm not convinced Spencer Sanders keeps the starting job. Who's the, what's the rest of that room look like? I don't, I don't have the Shane Ellingworth. Shane Ellingworth was a, a bigger kid from, from California, very different you know model, but like if, if Spencer Sanders doesn't point. improve his passing. Oh, and he had to play some last year because Sanders got opening hurt. game, right? Mm, I believe. Um, yeah, Sanders got hurt. Illingworth played, and Illingworth is more of the Mike Gundy mold. He's more yeah, of the he doesn't run. He's guy. not. He's not athletic. He he's yeah. a big kid who who can throw some. I I'm interested to, to see that. Uh, ben, here's a question for Iowa State. More likely, Iowa State wins the conference, or more likely they finish T three or worse. You know what? I bet, I bet this is hot cyclone summer for me. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say more likely they win, and I I mean I have the over. I mean they're nine and a half. I got them over because other than the Oklahoma game, they'll be favored in every game this year. I would say. I mean they're they're minus. I think last time I I heard minus four against Iowa or something like that. I mean that'll be the okay. non conference challenge, but. They are. I don't want to. I don't want to like go so hard on Iowa State, but here's the thing: they're really well coached. They have true all-conference caliber players. I don't know how many NFL players they have. They have a few. I think they have a few guys that could have a, a pro career, but they're just a really good football team. That the odds say they have a one in four chance winning the Big Twelve. If you give me Oklahoma and Iowa State and Arlington four times, do I think a Matt Campbell football team can beat them one in four times? Yeah, I think they can. So 
barring a major injury to like Brock Purdy or Brees Hall, yeah, I, I think they have a team that's more capable of, of challenging Oklahoma and winning the Big 12 than they would have completely falling apart. We're going to dig into that and more. And what would a 10-win season mean for Iowa State? And what would it mean for Matt Campbell? Next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Cover 3 listeners, we are finalists for the sports category of the People's Choice Podcast Awards. And we appreciate all you guys do for us, and we hope that you enjoy our show enough to, hey, nominate us. Nominate us to advance to the final round. To nominate the Cover 3 podcast, go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. Once again, that is podcastawards.com slash app, A-P-P, slash sign up, and then toggle down to the sports category. We've included the link at the top of the episode description as well, so you can see it, you can click it, go there, sign up, nominate us in the sports category. The Cover 3 podcast, again, that is podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. We love that we've gotten to this point of being finalists for the sports category of the People's Choice Awards, and we need you to get your support behind the Cover 3 podcast at podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. Shout out to uh, the Ion College Basketball Podcast, Matt and Gary, as I just absolutely copy and paste this bit, but trivia time. All right, bud. Do you know how many times Iowa State has had a 10-win season? You're muted. Once. Ben? Zero. Damn. Zero 10-win seasons. And that was one of the things that Ben, I'm I'm not going to, just like read your column here. I'm going to let you talk about it. But it was just one of the like sort of entry points to the feature on Matt Campbell is like, guys, we're, it's a hot cyclone summer. You know, we're talking about winning the big 12 is more likely than finishing T3 or worst, you know, but this is a program that has never won 10 games and has only finished in the final AP poll three times ever. 
And this is a program that's been around for more than a century. I how do how do we wrap our heads around um, the potential of this team this year and where it stands in in comparison to everything that Iowa State football has been? This is why I go back to in the last segment about not trying to like go too hard on Iowa State, go all in too much because. When we start talking, and I'm not saying that Iowa State is is thinking playoffs here. I actually don't think that's really the case for them. They're they're not that starry eyed. But sometimes then you you kind of lose the forest for the trees, and you go, it's okay to just to have a really good year. You don't have to win every game, but you know I think they have their sights set on a Big Twelve championship. The problem is I think Oklahoma is going to be better this year. The, the window, the actually the window to, to winning the Big 12 was a little bit more open last year than, than I think it was this year. The, the challenge is greater in 2021 than it was in 2020. That being said, I think they can still do it. I mean, clearly they're good enough. They beat Oklahoma last year. Uh, they've actually had the Sooners numbers, win or lose, a, a couple of times since Campbell took over. So they've been in a position where on any given Saturday – they can upset the Sooners. So they can do that. But if they go 10 and two or, you know, 10 and three, lose the big 12 championship game or something, it's still the first 10 win season ever, ever. Yeah. And they're coming off a Fiesta bowl win. Uh, This is a group that, again, I think some of it is related to the fact that I don't really know so much about their NFL prospects, but this is a group of, of upperclassmen who said, we have unfinished business. We're coming back. And they're good players. I mean, Mike Rose comes off defensive player of the year uh, for 2020. It's the preseason pick again this year. Great linebacker for them. They have uh, Will McDonald up front. I saw this come across the ticker yesterday. PFF said they are the best defensive team in the country at getting pressure with four guys. So defensively, getting the job done. Uh, the key for them to really, I think, match what Oklahoma can do, you got to find a deep threat. And they, ha- they have a couple of, 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 of possibilities. you got uh, Tariq Milton, who was injured last year, I think only played in about six games. He's kind of more their deep threat guy. Xavier Hutchinson, big body dude, but maybe not necessarily the guy you're going to rely on for quick strikes. You know they've got Charlie Kolar and Chase Allen at tight end. You You've got these possession dudes, and you know you can run the ball, but it's it's about the quick strike, big play through the air. Can you improve that part of the game? Because that's going to determine whether Iowa State is a really good team that wins nine or ten games but drops one or two they maybe shouldn't versus winning the Big 12. Ben, how much of your optimism about Iowa State is – a belief that Trevor Purdy can become what we thought he might become following 2019, as opposed to what he played like last year, which was just like a you know good, not yeah. special college quarterback who's like not a draft prospect. Yeah, he's boy. I tell you, Iowa State fans love to tell you he's the best quarterback in in the league, at least next to Spencer. Rapp. Still, um, I mean, come still. on. Still, like they they like Iowa State fans are still out here pointing at Brock Purdy and being like, that's. That's it. That's the guy. Even after last season, because I understood. Cause I think, it was- well, I think they. I think they would say. Well, now clearly, I think he's second to Spencer. Spencer Rattler. But heading into last year, absolutely, they were like he's better than Sam Ellinger. 
which I here was here was my he wasn't. Always, yeah, well, he wasn't, but here was always my deciding factor. If you needed like a play, Sam Ellinger can do so much more in terms of putting the entire offense on his back. And I don't think that that's necessarily Brock Purdy's game, or Brock Purdy's game. So I, I have Brock Purdy as a perfectly fine power five starting quarterback who can distribute the ball, make some plays with his legs. And there is nothing wrong with that. To me, though, I don't know if we can argue for a minute. If you are on one of these teams that does not recruit at the upper level, and you want to overachieve relative to how well you've recruited typically. It's great coaching. It's really good in the special teams, you know, kicking game, and it's quarterback. And, like, I agree with you. We, we say this on the pod all the time. Where is the next step Iowa State can take? They're already really good on defense. They already have a really damn good running back. They just don't hit explosive plays through the air like, like the best teams in the country do. I think you're right that it's a receiver. I'm just also not completely sold on, on Purdy as being the guy, maybe if they had better receivers, the party would look better. It's possible. It's kind of chicken or the egg, but that area of the, of the game definitely has to improve. And I don't know that he's good enough to do it for. Maybe well, he is. And well, again, the thing with what I go back to before Brees Hall kind of became Brees Hall. So you go back to early part of 2019. Uh, Brock Purdy had to do a lot more by himself. Yep. And that was, it was evident that he was not really equipped. To, to do that, to carry the team in a way that like a Sam Ellinger could. That doesn't make him like not a good quarterback. It just means that's not his game. Few guys can do that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you that I, I think at this point with Brock Purdy, we kind of know sort of what he is as a player. But if you can find an explosive second option at wide receiver that at least gives you some downfield threat – I don't know that he has to be a lot better. I think you just got to close the gap a little bit more, trust your coaching, um, you know, and then when it comes to trying to beat Oklahoma, you just, you know, you got to get some calls. You got to get a couple things going your way to, to sort of close that gap and, and eventually take over. The other thing too, and I, I didn't really write this in the piece because it's kind of hard to quantify is their strength and conditioning has done an amazing job. Yeah. Iowa state looks like a, an upper tier power five team because they may not recruit a bunch of blue blood, you know, blue chip guys, but they do recruit kids who have size and they develop them into that size. They do a good job of that. Max Duggan or Brock Purdy? Oh, Brock Purdy. Not, not based on what you have, but even just like moving forward. Yeah. Ooh. Am I off on my Duggan optimism? Uh, you're not off. I mean, so far he's proven to be a better runner than a passer. Now there's a couple reasons for that. I, they, he did not have a lot of great protection last year. Um, that's yeah, something. That his only have. passes were like not, they're behind the line of scrimmage or like short little was, hitch rounds. It was, it was behind, behind the line of scrimmage where he's like to the moon and he like you know, <laughs> throws it 50 yards down the field. I mean, there's, it was kind of one of those things. And that's partially because of, I think a lot of the situations TCU found themselves in. Uh, in games, so no, I would I would take Purdy. I would take level waters over, you know, all the dips every almost every time. Jarrett Daigie or Brock Purdy? Brock Purdy. Jarrett Daigie's Jarrett Daigie cannot catch the passes himself. So I mean, West Virginia, 
West Virginia like led the Big 12 and dropped passes. And I feel kind of bad for Jared Diggy, but Jared Diggy's real limited. He doesn't have a big arm. And every time they do a zone read, it's like he's petrified of keeping it. I mean, they they the defensive end will crash every time. And he's like, no, nope, not today, not this time. <laughs> and uh, he's like, just wait. Just wait, and then he'll finally like take it around the turn, and he'll slide for about two yards. So you need to be able to throw the ball deep, and you need to be able to run, and Jared Dagey does not do either of those two things with great efficiency. You do have a unique perspective on West Virginia, and uh, you know the great Matt Coca is the producer of this program, so we got, we got to give him so, uh, a West Virginia minute before we get out of here. What Neil Brown, year three, mm. you know, What's the, what are the expectations for the Mountaineers? Get back to a bowl game. You know, I, you know, they overachieved a little bit last year. Um, they won't, their defense won't be as good. Um, it'll still be decent, but it won't be as good. They lost. We still have one stills. We lost we still have one stills. They have, yeah. uh, they have one stills. Uh, they're like the plumbies, man. There's like, there's like a bunch <laughs> of stills. So they got, they got one stills brother um lose some lose some guys on the back end that's going to be tough um if those receivers can start catching balls i i they're over under i think was six no, i don't Sounds know right. but i, yeah. I, I something like that i i think they're i think they can be a seven and again you you put them in that group where if you just kind of get one win, you're not really supposed to, or you get something to kind of go your way, you can win eight games. So I, I have them kind of winning seven, maybe eight games. They are, they've been kind of this trendy, I wouldn't call them a dark horse pick, but they've been kind of a trendy, like, Oh, look out for West Virginia in year three. And those first two years between what Dana Holgerson left in the cupboard and COVID-19, this is actually more like year one for Neil Brown. I mean, last year was like, 0.5 and then the year before that was year zero so they're i think still another maybe year or two away from really being a, an upper echelon big 12 team but they're heading in the right direction and neil brown's making some waves on the recruiting trail i mean he's getting some names so they're doing the right things but you know sometimes you got to exercise some patience with that and, and i think they are all right, last one before we get you out of here. Is Matt Campbell the head coach at Iowa State at the beginning of the 2022 season? Yeah. Bud, what do you think? I think he kind of marches to the beat of his own drummer, you know. Um, okay, Ben, so your yes, is that predicated on you think he would only go to the NFL or you think that there's a very select list of college jobs that he would take that they're unlikely to open or I guess see door number three. You just think he really loves Iowa state and believes that he can build that into something even more. Door number two. Okay. Yeah, what, I mean, are those, what, what are those jobs you think? Just, I mean, I, not that he's told you, but yeah. Uh, Michigan. So you think Michigan is not open. Therefore Matt Campbell is at Iowa state. Yeah. Um, yeah, I and like not Notre Dame, not that we think it's going to open. Okay, could could be Notre Dame, but you know what I'm saying. It's it's like one or two of of those types of jobs. And Iowa State again, Iowa State fans they get real sensitive about this. Very. And what you have to, what you have to understand is coaching movement. We just talked about Frank Solich. Those Frank Soliches are they're not around anymore. You know those the they're very few coaches who stick around for a very long time. And it's a lot of times it's not about 
the program. It's not about, I mean, I kind of think they're sort of hitting their apex at, at Iowa state, but I mean, it's just kind of like, all right, it's, there's just the next challenge and coaches are, they get kind of weird bugs up their butts, man. I mean, you just don't know what they're going to do and what they're thinking and where they're going to go. And I just think movement is a part of this industry. And so um, I think, I think he's there in 2022, but you get one of those Michigan Notre Dame jobs opening up. And I, and I think he's, I think he's there. Yeah. I think that the potential of a Matt Campbell could lead somebody to have an itchy trigger. I don't know if it's Michigan, Mm -hmm. but if you think you can go get Matt Campbell, that could definitely change the, uh, the calculate, the calculus for an athletic director. He is one of two. And this, this is just me making a bet. Little, little, little barroom, like talk thoughts right here. But Billy Napier at Louisiana brings ev- freaking everybody back. Hey, let's, you know, we're going to go do one last run. Matt Campbell brings freaking everybody back. I feel like they both really commit themselves to this season and then are maybe a little bit more receptive to the phone calls when it comes to uh, what happens after this. You know, you could, you could almost like professionally put it as like a chapter. Like, you know, like we went out with like these recruiting classes, this group of guys, we went, we gave it our all, we made a run. And, uh, and now it's time for like, instead of starting over at Louisiana or instead of starting over at Iowa state, it'd be nicer to start over with more money and more resources somewhere else. So here's, here's a little tidbit in, in doing my research for the Matt Campbell piece. Four coaches have stayed longer than six seasons. At Iowa State? At Iowa State, in its history. Uh, Dan McCartney, go mean green, he was there for 12 years. Uh, other than that, it's, it's been pretty few and far between. So if he does leave after this year, he'll join – the course of other coaches who it's, it's been and a lot of them it's because they've been fired. I mean, very few Earl Bruce was one of the very few coaches to actually leave Iowa state with a winning record. So, I mean, it's, so some of it is just, you know, what the history tells you. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be real, be real interesting to see what he does with this. He is Ben Kirchival. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Kirchival. You can follow him at Bud Elliott three. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. See you. See ya. Sweet. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.